awesome information to evolve you to your next place. Hey, this is Dave Morehouse, and you're listening to News for the Soul. Next on News for the Soul, it's time for Breaking Through with Grace Gideon. Grace is a passionate and dedicated international life coach with a bachelor's in law, a master's in East-West psychology, and an expert in addictions. Grace combines these skills in her practice to clinically and intuitively diagnose and break through subconscious issues that prevent you from achieving success and fulfillment. She has a unique capacity to tune in to repress psychological and emotional blocks and to teach effective techniques to transform your life in a deep and long-lasting way. And now to help you make your next breakthrough, here's Grace. Here we go. Let's see if we've got Grace on the board. Grace, are you there? Hey, Nicole. I'm here. How are you? I am well. How's it going? Great. Everything's great. We've got beautiful weather, beautiful autumn weather in Sydney. I hope your spring spring is beautiful too. It's kind of like it just started today for us over here, but yeah, it's all, all good. Oh, good. Okay, so I'll get going. Uh, again, lots of content. So hi, everyone. Welcome back to Breaking Through with Grace on News for the Soul, life-changing talk radio. Let's make sure we help you change your life today. So I want to address a common yet difficult topic, and I say it's difficult because it's what some of us find to be such a simple yet hard thing to do and that is to understand our relationship to food and address our weight issues on a permanent basis. It's really such a simple equation, isn't it? Eat less, exercise more, right? Well, that's what Dr. Chakravarti told me when I was seven years old, and mum took me in there to see him for flu or tonsillitis or some other childhood ailment thing and he took one look at my rather cute yet very chubby body and said, Grace, eat less, exercise more. And um, I remember thinking even then at seven, how's that going to help the flu? Like, I mean, really, it's just like, do you even know that I'm here or is all you see my fat little body? That was my first awareness at age seven that I had eating issues and and in fact I had an eating um, disorder. I didn't know I had an eating disorder. I just thought I had a weight problem. But I'll tell you more about that later. So mastering that equation, eat less, exercise more, has actually been the most daunting task of my life. You know, I've, I've traveled the world. I've done a law degree. I've done a master's in psychology. But mastering eat less, exercise more is like being totally beyond me. And for all you educated people who struggle with weight loss, who think you only need an IQ of six to master that equation and still haven't, you know, hands up, I totally relate. And I just want to say something to Dr. Chakravarti, if you're listening. He's probably like 100 years old by now. But anyway, if being slim was that easy, why is the global weight loss industry, according to the Global Wellness Institute, worth between 574 and 674 billion US dollars? And, 
you know, it was really interesting when I went to market this show on Facebook, um, not that I really know how to market, but to post it on Facebook anyway, <clears throat> I was told not to use the words weight loss because Facebook's very sensitive to how sensitive people are around this issue. Isn't that good on you, Facebook? So I really don't actually, when people come to me for weight loss, I use that term because that's where we start. But we'll find out it's really about emotional baggage loss, addictions and dysfunctional eating. And that's where we're going to travel today. So stay tuned and I'll help you decide if you're a normal eater, dysfunctional eater or a food addict and what you can do about it. I'm happy to take your questions on emotional eating, food, weight obsession, food addiction, whatever version of eating and weight issues you call in with normally body images grouped within that but I've just got like so much content on this that body image will be part of a different show but if you happen to have a body image question um, throw it in if, if you get a chance to call in okay so let's take a breath and I'm just going to do a customary recap from my last show uh, for those of you dying to hear about food and weight issues, hang in there and listen for just a few minutes. This is a recap on the relationship show, which is a um, a topic many people actually eat over. So if you hang in there and listen to it, it might be a coping mechanism and you can kill two birds with the one podcast. So last time on our making, on our breaking through with Grace, which was on May the 8th, I explored the topic of unconscious versus conscious relationships. If that's an area that interests you, go to my website, Grace Gedeon, G-R-A-C-E-G-E-D-E-O-N.com or News for the Souls website and click on the radio show tab on my website or my tab on, on News for the Soul and listen to that podcast. Also listen to the 10th of April podcast, which was the introduction to conscious relationships, if relationships are your thing. Here's a summary of conscious versus unconscious relationships. If any of you have a pen and paper, write this down. If you haven't, this will be recorded. Listen back to it because it's dense information and you might not get it all. I stated that a conscious relationship is one where you and your partner move towards a goal of wholeness by fostering each other's psycho-spiritual growth. Psychological and spiritual. Psycho-spiritual growth. Which is a mutual process. So you both enter into it and it's supported by a divine harmony. That's what I call a conscious relationship. There are four key elements in my view. The first one is you acknowledge that you and your partner are mirrors for each other and that you've been sent to you've been sent to each other with a message on how to become your best version of you and them their best version of them. You look at their defects and ask, where does that defect live in me? And you look at their strengths and ask, where does that strength live in me? And they do the same. Point one. Point two. 
you accept your own and each other's humanness. This means you accept the light and the shadow aspects of yourself and of each other. As a reflection of that authentic acceptance, you admit to your dark side, partner admits to theirs. With acceptance, you remove judgment from the dynamic between you and this minimizes the need for either of you to have to use defense mechanisms just to survive in the relationship and feel safe. Point three, you support each other in this endeavor to heal the shadow self. This means non-judgmental sharing of your reality while speaking in the first person. Sharing by using descriptive feedback, owning your feelings about a situation or conflict, showing respect when you can, apologizing if you behave poorly as soon as you can, which for some of us might be a couple of minutes and some of us might be a couple of years, but hopefully as we evolve, it heads towards minutes or hours and years. Just acknowledging humanness, people. Number four, your mutual intention is to move in the direction of wholeness. Understanding that you must both stretch yourself towards your betterment for the relationship to become whole. What this does is puts both of you in sync divine will and allows a divine harmony to express itself through your holy, as in wholeness, union. Okay, that was conscious relationships. I did conscious versus unconscious. Here comes the unconscious bit. Some people call this the fun bit, but it's so not fun, trust me. One, you neglect to see each other as mirrors. You notice the faults in each other and you become disillusioned. Two, acceptance is missing and humanness is seen as inadequacy. In place of acceptance, you can have tolerance, or intolerance. Tolerance is different to acceptance. It has a passive judgment in it. Intolerance involves frustration and demands for change. It's the blame, shame, shut down game. Three, instead of supporting each other to heal the shadow, each person thinks it's their job to convince the other to change as their happiness lies in the other person's hands. Change so I can be happy. Style of feedback is usually prescriptive, not descriptive. People don't own their own reality and feelings. In fact, they tell you your reality and feelings and they project what they imagine the other person thinks and feels. 
So this is not what we call support. And the shadow self magnifies under those conditions rather than heals. And the final point, which I mentioned in conscious relationship, was the desire for growth is mutual. So the willingness to change towards wholeness is high. However, in the unconscious relationship, there is a lack of mutuality in the intention for, for growth. There might be a mutuality in hobbies and interests and raising children, but not in the intention for growth. This means there's a lack of harmony on a psycho-spiritual level. The struggle is not for growth, but for power. You and your partner are in fact resisting the universal will for your mutual soul growth and can be stuck on the level of projection. That's it. I gave you an assignment in the last show, which is also posted on the radio show page of gracegedian.com. If you miss that show, go to my website, click on the radio show page, listen to that show, do the assignment, email me your insights, and there's lots of good stuff there for you. Done. Recap done. Let's jump now to our topic for today. And when I've finished um, my little talk, you can call in with your questions on one six four six five nine five four two seven four. Press one. If you hear a message, you're in the host queue. Hold on, you'll get put through. Depending on how much time we have. Or if you like, while I'm talking, if something occurs to you, email your question to Nicole during the show on the email address on the air at telus T E L U S dot net. On the air at T E L U S dot net. And uh, Nicole will tell me the question and I'll answer it for you. So let's talk about food. Wait, start now by asking you to, if you have a piece of paper, draw on a piece of, on that piece of paper a line, or if you don't have a piece of paper, picture it in your mind. It can be vertical, it can be horizontal, whichever way you want to go. That line, picture in your mind, if you don't have a piece of paper, that line. That will be our food and weight issues axis. At one end, on the far left, we have normal eaters. Then at the other end, over to the far right, we have food addicts. So my axis is vertical. On the far left, I have normal eaters. On the far right, I have food addicts. Along the axis, in all the space in between the two extreme points, we have every variety and degree of dysfunctional eater. Three categories. Normal eaters, all five of them on this planet. Just joking. Normal eaters on the left, food addicts on the right, 
dysfunctional eaters dotted all along the axis in between. Let's get to the left on our axis. Who am I calling a normal eater? Answer. People who don't control their food. Hmm. Let's go to the far right on our axis. Who am I calling a food addict? Let's say let's say late stage chronic food addict like like me. Answer. People who don't control their food. Interesting, huh? Both ends are represented by a lack of control. However, and this is a big however, normal eaters on our far left don't control their food because they don't have to. Normal eaters don't control their food because they don't have to. It doesn't occur to them to control their food because they can self-regulate through their connection with their body. Mechanisms like appetite, feelings of fullness, hunger pangs or the absence of hunger pangs, personal preferences actually work for them. They can make choices. For example, they think, hey, I want to lose a few pounds or kilos, so I'll eat less and exercise more. Go figure. Dr. Chakravarti likes them. If they have a big lunch, their body goes, huh, I think I'll have dinner tonight. Can't. I mean, honestly, I don't know how they do that, but they do. They adapt functionally in food and weight matters and they achieve the goals they set. They're not preoccupied with food, fat body thoughts, calorie counting, purging, gymming, all these things. Food isn't love or some other surrogate to them. It's not an antidepressant or an anxiety medication. They've got better things to think about. They're normal. They're highly unlikely to be listening to this show today. <clears throat> Unless they just like listening to an Aussie accent. Now, or they thought I was going to talk about something else. Now, let's talk about the food addict. Hand up, Grace. At the far right of our axis, there are three stages of food addiction, early, middle, and late stage. The late stage food addict or chronic food addict is someone who, like the alcoholic on the park bench, the stereotype, has lost all ability to control their relationship with food. They don't control, not because they don't have to, but because they simply can't. Powerless over their addiction, food is their drug of choice. Even anorexics, who one would think are the epitome of control, actually lack control because they, in fact, have no control over their under-eating. Anorexia, in my clinical experience, is one of the hardest eating disorders or addictions to treat because it really, really, really creates the illusion of control in the under-eater whilst it actually eats away at every organ in their body. It's, it's heartbreaking. 
that's the late stage chronic food addict. They simply can't control their food. They've lost all will to resist its demands. They're powerless over addiction. And food is their drug of choice. Early stage food addicts and meal stage food addicts see like addiction has its own little trajectory, early, middle, late. <laughs> These are addicts who haven't lost all power to control their food yet. They haven't lost all power to control their food yet, but if they continue, they will. They may... This is the hardest group of people to treat, you know, like when I get clients and they go, I don't know if I've just like got, I'm an overeater or an emotional eater or, or a dysfunctional eater or, or a food addict. I don't think I'm a food addict because I can stop. Well, you have to do some really thorough analysis before you can make that decision because it might be a yet for them and they might actually be addicts. Or they might just be eating over issues and circumstances, etc., and just dysfunctional eaters. The behaviours are quite similar for dysfunctional eaters and early stage or middle stage food addicts, and and because they they they're under the illusion that they have some control because they can stop start, they can they can diet and go off a diet, diet and go off a diet. But what you have to do is analyse their genetics, their history with food their food group choices. And then after that analysis, which is probably something somebody like me needs to do or a lot of research um, by the individual themselves, uh, they, they can work out if they're on a trajectory to complete powerlessness uh, as addicts or if they're dysfunctional eaters who need to treat their, their other issues. So just because I've told you to imagine an access or a line from normal eater to late-stage food addict doesn't mean that I want you to think that there's a linear progression from normal eater to chronic food addict. On the contrary, they're mutually exclusive. Think North Pole, South Pole. They're, they're, they're on an axis, but they're mutually exclusive or whatever's on a vertical axis um, you know, on the planet, the equator, one end to the other end. No, actually, the equator wraps around. Forget that. That line doesn't turn one into the other. It represents two extremes. I don't believe you start off as a normal eater and progress to food addiction. I think you can start off normal and progress or regress to dysfunctional eating. And you can start off as a dormant food addict and move from that to early, middle and late stage food addicts. But normal eaters don't become food addicts. And food addicts don't ever go back to being normal eaters no matter how much you meditate or work on your issues. This is a fundamental tenet of addiction. This has been accepted by all 12-step based rehab centers, reputable addiction treatment facilities that addiction is treatable but not curable and food addiction is no exception. In other words, I'm of the view that there is a genetic predisposition to addiction that can lay dormant, but once activated in the, in the individual, it requires ongoing treatment. That's the addict. I'll come back to some more details to work out which one you are. So what about the group of eaters that lie between normal eaters and food addicts? So the normal eaters don't have to control their food, 
the addicts can't control their food? What about the group I've classified as dysfunctional eaters? This is the category many people fit into and most of my clients who are food addicts plead, plead, grace, please, you know, don't tell me I'm a food addict. They want to be seen as kind of a person with eating problems, not a food addict. This group, dysfunctional eaters, uh, I'll give you some examples and maybe it can help you understand yourself. Compulsive dieters, emotional eaters, stress eaters, holiday eaters, recreational eaters, people with poor habits around food and eating, people who habitually make poor choices for social, cultural, economic and personal reasons, people who haven't educated themselves around nutrition, those who lack self-esteem, foodies who overindulge as a means of finding pleasure or entertainment, those who escape or avoid through food, people who have body image obsession and they craft their eating around their mental and physical obsessions, people with entrenched unhealthy habits. These people are abusers of food or self-medicated. They're not dependent. They're like people who go hard with booze, alcohol, but aren't actually alcoholics. They just go hard. They abuse food. They self-medicate, but they don't have a genetic propensity towards addiction. So under the right circumstances, with the right motivation or discipline to change, they can stop. They can do therapy. They can process their feelings. They can get over issues relating to abandonment, past trauma, particularly sexual abuse, which seems to be highly related to weight gain as a form of protection. If they minimise stress, frustration, improve self-esteem, change social patterns, get engaged with self-care, nutrition, education, a great fitness program or lifestyle, then they can turn this around and become normal or healthy eaters. These people regain a normal relationship with food. That's what dysfunctional eaters are. And if you're one of those people, then I'll give you some... Uh, tips in a minute. People who are bulimic, somebody is ringing my door, I don't know why. Bulimic, under-eaters and over-eaters can fall either into the dysfunctional eaters category or food addicts. If they address their issues and their eating habits and return to normal on an ongoing basis, they're not food addicts. However, if they address their issues but can't stop their dysfunctional behaviour, despite repeated attempts to stop, then they need to seriously consider that they might be food addicts. Okay, that's a dysfunctional eater. Normal eater, food addict, dysfunctional eater. Let's take a breath for a minute, reflect on all of that, think about your relationship to food. Now... I'm going to ask some questions. How do you know if you're a food addict? Addicts can't set a goal weight or a goal around food intake and achieve it on a long-term basis. They think it's a lack of willpower, but it's actually an overwhelming urge or craving that despite all judgment, 
reason, insight or consequence is stronger than their conscious desire to stop. It's not a lack of willpower. It's an overwhelming urge or craving that despite all judgment, reason, insight or consequence is stronger than the conscious desire to stop. It's a compulsion coupled with a mental obsession. The characteristics of food addiction are denial, deception, preoccupation, sourcing supply, protection of supply, attempts to control, followed by loss of control. Denial. I'm not an addict. Deception. Lying to... uh, Every addict lies about their drug of choice, lying about how much you eat, secret eating, all those things. Preoccupation. Thinking about it more than more than is necessary which is like thinking about your next meal is all that's necessary but being constantly or regularly preoccupied sourcing supply driving around you know looking for mcdonald's and service stations at two o'clock in the morning protection of supply (coughs) hiding your food not letting anyone touch your food attempts to control diet followed by less of, loss of control, binges, getting on the diet binge, you know, feast and famine cycle. All of these things, denial, deception, patience, sourcing supply, protection of supply, attempts to control followed by less loss of control are aspects of food addiction. <clears throat> but the key thing is that it's a mental obsession coupled by a physical compulsion that despite negative consequences, the addict can't stop. There are two aspects to food addiction. It's a substance addiction and a process addiction. I don't know if you've heard of those terms. Maybe many people have heard of substance addiction. Maybe some of you have heard of process addiction. The substance addiction for food addicts is to these substances, sugar, flour, most refined or processed carbohydrates, fried, deep fried foods, individual binge foods, which are usually nuts, crisps, super rich health foods like tahini and rich dairy products like cheeses. These are the substances food addicts go for. They also go for quantities, but these are the substances they go for. <clears throat> Sugar, flour, carbs, fried foods, quantities, and certain individual binge foods. The food addict finds these to be mood-altering drugs. They're processed in the body, much like alcohol by an alcoholic or heroin by a heroin addict. They create a chemical release in the brain that produces a feeling of well-being while at the same time triggering what's known as the phenomenon of craving. 
so that the more the addict has, the more they crave. Look at that equation. The more the addict has, the more they crave. For normal eaters, you get to a satiation point after one or two yummy treats. You go, oh, that's enough. For the addict, the saying is, one is too many and a thousand is never enough. So once the substance is in the system, the phenomenon of craving is triggered and rather than feeling full, you become ravenous. The specific area of the brain with which addiction is associated is the hypothalamus. The old brain is located within the hypothalamus. It's the seat of primitive instinctual feelings of hunger, anger, thirst, sex drive and fear. Usually the old brain identifies a need and sends a message to the cortex being the new brain where a rational decision is made to address that need. With addicts, the brain malfunctions. With every need, emotional, physical, psychological, spiritual, with every need that's identified, <clears throat> a short circuit occurs and the answer always comes back, use substance. Oh, I'm tired. Ah, oh, I think chocolate will fix that one. Oh, I'm angry. I'll crunch on something. Yeah, you know, nuts and crisps, they help me when I'm angry. Oh, I'm lonely. Ice cream. Ice cream will comfort me. Oh, I miss my mum. Mmm, milk. Reminds me of mummy or a home-cooked meal. Oh, he broke up with me. Yeah. I think I'll starve myself and I'll show him. It's like the brain thinks, oh, I'm stressed at work. I'll, um, well, you know, I'll, I'll eat a big meal, meditate my feelings, have some French fries, then I'll get back into it. Stuff like that, that's, that's addicts. That's food addicts, you know. Every, <coughs> every situation has a food group that solves it. I remember, like, eat, overeating, like, chocolates and chips and things and then thinking, oh, I feel fat. I wonder what food can get, take away the fat feeling. And I think, mm, watermelon. Watermelon makes me feel slim. I'll have some watermelon. I mean, really, can you believe it? So if the mind is imbalanced, not full of toxic thoughts and feelings, or the biochemistry of the body is imbalanced, not full of sugar, flour, fried foods, then the short circuit doesn't occur. You do a detox and your healthy brain processes operate so long as you stay away from those substances. Once you put them back in, back to old trigger. It might not be instant, but it eventually gets back there. That's the substance addiction component. I said food addiction is also a process addiction. What's a process addiction? It refers to addictive behaviours or thought processes rather than addictive substances. For example, sex, work, cleaning, hoarding, gambling, they're all process addictions. Drugs and alcohol are generally seen as substance addictions, but to tell you the truth, 
they have addictive rituals and processes attached to them too, so I'd work them as both. Um, but, you know, sex work, cleaning, hoarding, gambling, that sorts of things, um, exercise, they're kind of more process addictions The substance isn't involved. So the processes that a food addict can get addicted to are just sitting down and binging and eating large quantities of food, just large, large quantities, you know, huge plates. Like, you know, when you see ads, food addiction as if you google images you just see large quantities of pasta and you have a look at the food groups so usually the groups i've said you know pasta has flour in it it fits in with those they eat large quantities of food and usually the manner of eating is quickly quickly or secretly or you have a different type of food addict they're grazers they're grazing on food all day it's like they constantly need oral gratification you you always have to have something in your mouth consuming something, even if it's just tons and tons of diet drinks and um, sugar-free gum. The mouth is rarely unoccupied. I think those of us who do that might be stuck in Freud's oral gratification stage. I'll, I'll have to write an article on that one day. Another process addiction is going to the fridge repeatedly, opening, shutting it, whether you grab something to eat or not, cruising shopping aisles, whether you buy it or not, obsessively getting on and off the scales, obsessive exercising, purging, laxatives, calorie counting, moving and playing with your food around the plate, eating, you know, your food in certain order. I'll eat the veggies first and I'll save the, the, this for last. And just, just ritualistic behaviors um, uh, around food. These are all parts of process addictions that, they mood alter. The, the actual process moods alter as well as the substance. Okay? So the food addict is powerless over their food addiction and food addiction is a substance and process addiction which is treatable but not curable. Okay, guys. So what's the solution? Four steps. One, and everyone who's ever kind of dealt with a problem knows the first step is always one. Admit that you have a problem around food. Get out of denial. Get out of excuses. Apathy, hiding, minimizing. Oh, my family's fat. We've got large bones. I'm tired. The kids make me eat. I'm stressed. Get out of all of that. Admit you have a problem. Stop discussing food or weight issues like a social conversation piece, you know, of the department. Oh, my God, you've lost weight. You look amazing. Oh, I wish I could lose weight. You know, you know, pass, pass the, pass the, uh, pass the chocolate cake. You've got to treat it as a legitimate problem, not a, not, not a social conversation piece. Admit that you have a problem. Number two, identify the exact nature of your problem. Go back, listen to this podcast, look at the different categories, do some research. This is where you decide: A, are you a normal eater? If you're a normal eater and you've tuned in because you've got body image issues, self-esteem issues, but you're listening to this and go, hey, my, my relationship to food's fine, then, then you don't have an eating problem. You've got a, a psychological, emotional problem with your body image or your self-esteem or the way you view yourself. Then you need to go and get therapy or coaching about your negative self-talk and the stories you've told yourself and the limiting beliefs that have been created, the paradigm, and address that. However, 
if you've decided you do have an eating problem and a food problem, then you've got to ask yourself, A, uh, no, I've already done A. Next point, are you a dysfunctional eater? Okay, so when you overeat or undereat, does the phenomenon of craving get triggered in you? So regardless of the mood you're in, you, you just find it impossible to stop or difficult to stop? Or are you the kind of person whose circumstances or feelings or bad habits trigger you to eat and when they pass, the urge to eat stops and you can actually return to normal? Of course, food addicts are triggered too by circumstances and feelings, but the food addict, even when they pass, continues but the dysfunctional eater, when the circumstances change, stops. See the difference? Ask yourself these questions. Is my problem, my food choices or the way I eat, is food masking issues with my job, my family, finances? Is it masking emotions like grief, loneliness, anger? You've got to analyse your circumstances, explore your feelings, Look at whether food is a surrogate mother, lover, family. Is it a source of love for you? Read Marianne Williamson's A Course in Weight Loss. Read Janine's Roth's When Food is Love. Go on my reading list on my website and look at the, the books. Read that sort of stuff. Read the stuff that I write about this. And after you've done a thorough inquiry, work out what your strategy is. Do you need an eating and exercise plan? Do you need a therapy program? If you treat the dysfunction, then the use of food and dysfunctional eating patterns will diminish. You won't need them as a coping mechanism if you're a dysfunctional eater. Now, if you're a food addict, listen back to this show. Write down the traits of a food addict. Find the space to be deeply honest with yourself. Come to your own conclusion. Are you someone who has a mental obsession coupled with a physical compulsion to consume addictive foods despite negative, negative consequences. Let me give you a hint. Any woman over 100 kilos or any man over 115 kilos is almost certainly a food addict. You don't have to agonize over this one. Just if you're obese, you're almost certainly a food addict. Sorry, but that's usually the case. Even if you have loads of trauma that might explain why you're putting on weight in the first place, poverty, deprivation issues, sexual abuse issues, even if your trauma triggered the addiction, but you are now an addict, you have what's called a dual diagnosis. Unresolved trauma coupled with an addiction. You've got to treat both. Don't think that if you heal all your wounds, in therapy, you can become normal around food. You can decrease your triggers and therefore turn to food less, but you still have to have a system to manage your addiction like a diabetic has to always manage their insulin levels. The only successful treatment for food addiction that I've come across in 47 years of research is 12-step programs. In particular... Food Addicts in Recovery Anonymous. But there are several others. Graysheet, OA, CEA. Google them. Email me. I'll give you more details about them. Anything based on the 12-step model 
is a step in the right direction for treating addiction. And the basic rule, guys, and this is why people, my clients, don't want to be classified as addicts, the basic rule in 12-step is total abstinence from your drug of choice. This means food addicts can never safely have their addictive foods again. Now you know why no one wants to be classified as a food addict because no addict wants to give up their drug of choice. Every self-respecting addict protects supply and will fight like hell to hold on to their right to keep their drug of choice in their life in one shape, form or manner. As I've said, this is my area of expertise. I've lived it. I've trained in it. Betty Ford, Meadows, Promise in Recovery Centre in England, South Pacific Private Hospital in Australia. I know this really is a difficult area for many of us. We need lots of support and guidance, not just diet programs. If you need help self-diagnosing, then and it's really hard to work it out on your own, I'd like to offer today to to the first 20 people who email me at grace at gracegideon.com a coaching session at 50% off my normal rates and I'll personally and, and those rates are on my website I'll personally help you assess your relationship with food and design and recommend a treatment plan for you so just send me an email you get 50% off that consultation and I'll be more than happy to help hope this has been helpful I really want you to feel hopeful and inspired, not overwhelmed. I know from four decades of personal experience that if you allow yourself to develop a new outlook, I'm today half the size I used to be. And if you go on my website and look at Grace's story under, under, under the bio page, I talk about I talk about my, my um, transformation journey there. But if you allow yourself to believe it's possible to commit to it, to develop a new outlook on life that involves facing reality, accepting the limitations, then, then you can address your food plan, you can address your underlying emotional and mental baggage, reconnect with your body, and you can and you will transform your life and your relationship to food. Enough from me. Let's hear from anyone who's got any questions. Nicole, do we have any questions? Yeah, a ton of questions. Um, this is a big issue, no pun intended, but uh, lots of big questions here. But I just want to see if we have a, the lines working. Let me just try to take a call, first of all. 860, area code 860. You're now live with Grace Gideon on Into the Soul. What is your first name? Where are you calling in from? Maggie. Hi, Maggie. Hi, Grace. Hi, Maggie. How are you? I am well. What's your question, uh, my love? I didn't realize I was going to be put on a spot like this. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, my question. All right, I'm not working and struggling with that depression that comes with not working. Yeah. And yeah. just struggling <laughs> way too much. Yeah. So, so Maggie, are you classifying yourself as a food addict or a dysfunctional eater? Oh, I'm an addict. You're an addict. Okay. So, you 
know what you need to do, don't you, Maggie? No sugar, no wheat. Yes, I know. And have you done it before? I have done it successfully before, and it's great once you get off it all. I think I kept getting like 80% of the way through the withdrawal and then cave. Is it because the trauma and um, the depression are so overwhelming that your psyche does that thing where solve the problem with food, solve the problem with food, and the brain functions, the the neural pathways just keep going back to the food because you're so overwhelmed with the emotions and the trauma (sighs) and the depression. What prevents you from taking the action? It's I want the withdrawal. The withdrawal pain? Yeah, I want it to stop. And and I can't. Such such a great point, Maggie, and um, more than happy to do a session for you at half price um, uh, to go into this because I know it's complex. But can I just use your that brilliant point you just made for the listeners? Withdrawal is usually where people cave. We're, that's why a lot of people have to go and rehab. Nobody wants to go through the withdrawal. Food addiction withdrawal is painful, right, Maggie? It's just like... It is. Alcohol withdrawal, it's, it's bloody awful. Nobody wants yeah. to go through withdrawal symptoms. Yeah. In, intellectually, I know that the other side is wonderful. I've been there. I've been there for years. And then Beautiful. we know I had huge trauma that I couldn't deal one upon another. <laughs> yep. Now that I'm in a better place, I want to get back to that. And it's yeah, just getting beautiful. through the withdrawal. Well... Maggie, the desire to stop and the willingness are the, are, the, are, the, are the starting points. Honesty, open-mindedness, and willingness. And so I hope that the talk today has re-inspired you. And why don't you send me an email on, and we can workshop um, what we're going to do for you now that you've reconnected with this desire. Is that cool? Very cool. Okay. Thank you so much. Thank you, Maggie. Love you too. Bye. Bye. Okay, Nicole. Again, Uh, we've got some of the email questions I really want to get to because they were really good questions, all right? So first one coming to us from Lionel in New York. He's asking about what your opinion is about weight loss surgery. Oh, okay. Wow. Oh, my God. That's such a painful point. Look, I've got clients who <clears throat> honestly have got um, like one, uh, two or three that I can think of that have hit about 350 pounds or 160 kilos. And um, I've worked with them and they have so much resistance to going to 12-step programs. They have resistance to going into rehab or they can't afford it. And um, I've had three or four clients that have actually done the gastric sleeve where not not the lap band and not the balloon, but where they've cut their stomach and they have had success. Um, so when we're talking about life-threatening obesity, um, I say... 
if if really if honestly hand on heart this addiction has gotten so chronic and difficult and you can't treat it and then I'll say if if your life is threatened I would support it but to be more responsible um, Lionel you're more than welcome to 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 book that session with me and email me and go through the specifics so that I can um, give you more accurate feedback but I am not like religiously opposed to it thank you for that question great question it's a really good question Brenda in Ontario uh, another good question food is not something we can eliminate as a substance like other substance abuse so how on earth do we stay away from food if we're a food addict oh my god these are so good and they're great because I haven't they're asking um, areas they're covering areas that I haven't covered exactly hello food is not something you can stay away from and and they say you know in 12-step meetings you know w w we have to deal our drug at least three times a day you know so that's why you need food plans and boundaries yeah so with food because you're dealing with it three three times a day just like with relationship addiction and sex addiction you don't want to give up sex you don't want to give up um, food you can't give up food you don't want to give up relationships so these types of addictions unlike alcohol and drugs you have to eliminate certain processes and substances you can Brendan live without sugar and processed um, and refined carbs you can live there are people living 30 years without sugar flour refined carbs individual binge foods and you can live without addictive processes like cruising aisles grazing all day and binging so when I if you listen back Brendan to the specifics I said of how food addiction operates um, or if you're willing to go to a 12-step meeting like um, food addicts and recovery anonymous they will for free take you through the systems that have worked for them and helped them lose for hundreds of pounds for some people for decades but thank you great question and we had a bunch any, more great any, questions we're four minutes to the top of the hour and I want to give you time to wrap up and do some shameless self-promotion because we have another show right behind us so that's where we've got to go right now okay please those questions um, if you email them to the show take the same questions email them to grace at gracegedeon.com and I will reply to them thank you so much thank you Nicole uh, so I'm going to give you my journaling assignment for those listening to our show today so today's journaling assignment is to go back over the podcast if you haven't written it down don't worry it will be posted on my website within 48 hours under the podcast under radio show tab the questions I asked before to determine the exact nature of your problem decide are you a normal leader with uh, body image and self-esteem issues and therefore uh, you need to address the, the psychological and emotional issues 
are you a dysfunctional eater, go through the questions of, you know, food, family, feelings, circumstances, all the ones I mentioned before, behaviours, to decide why you're eating and then work out if you need exercise, a change of circumstances, exercise therapy, food plans through dysfunctional eating. Again, email me and I'll help you with that. Book a session, I'll help you with that. Or if you're a food addict, go back over the characteristics of that and decide if you're a food addict, look at your processes and, and food choices and, um, and your compulsions. Make a decision by defining the nature of your problem. That's your homework. If you're a super studious person and you want more homework, something that I did which was awesome is um, write like a two-page story describing a day in your life um, or a day in your food life as a dysfunctional eater or a food addict or whatever version of eater you've decided you are. Write a day in your life. How you do this day is you, you put together all the worst behaviors like a composite day so and describe if it was your worst food day possible, what you do from morning to night. <coughs> read it back to yourself or read it to a friend that you trust because I remember when I did this exercise, oh my God, it shocked the living daylights out of me and it really helped me with denial. So... Identify the nature of your problem, assignment one. Write a, write a story about a day in your food life, And number two. And then number three, decide what action plan you're going to take to address this issue. Write it down and commit it to someone. Commit to taking that action. Even if that action is just the commitment, like Maggie, to go through withdrawal again as painful as it is, or some other commitment. Okay, guys? So I've already done my shameless self-promotion, Nicole. Uh, I do love this topic. I love addiction and I love relationships. I've been discussing them. They're my favorite topics. Please feel free to email me. Take advantage of the offer to book in a half-price session. And I think that's 9 o'clock. So thank you, Nicole. I'll wrap up. Thanks, everyone, for joining us today. And um, I'll be back in two weeks on Monday, June the 5th. Uh, just remember until then, if you work on your psyche and if you address all these underlying issues, your life can be amazing. And come back in two weeks so I can help you make your next breakthrough. Thank you very much. Bye, everyone. Bye, Nicole. This is Nicole Whitney, News for the Soul, life-changing talk radio from the uplifting to the unexplained. It's a great honor to have you on the show tonight. Welcome, Deepak Chopra. Thank you. Yes, this is Uri. Hi, Uri. It's Nicole Whitney calling News for the Soul. Welcome to News for the Soul, Robert Allen. Thank you, Nicole. It's great to be here with you tonight. Why are you here? We're talking to Carolyn Mace about Sacred Contracts, one of her many best-selling books. Welcome to the show, Greg Braden. Well, good evening, Nicole. It's uh, certainly a pleasure to hear your voice and a pleasure to be here tonight. Welcome to the show, Stuart Wilde. Thank you very much. John Kehoe, welcome to News for the Soul. Hey, how are you? Next up, Dr. David Morehouse. 
I'm so glad that you called me because you are doing such an important task, important work, because you are spreading a very positive message. I was really moved by last week's show because we made a commitment to a worldwide event to try to change consciousness. I'm feeling enormous energy around this show, just enormous enormous. Uh, I, I really have to hand it to you, Nicole. You've created sort of a niche of amazing, amazing connections. It's just like <laughs> the angels and the devatas that are like attracted to news for the soul is amazing.